Oh, I've seen some scripts I know the words weren't spelled right. There was hardly any commas in it at all. So I don't think that's too important. Hey, you want to get on the train here or you want to ruin another take, huh? It's too cerebral. We're trying to make a movie here, not a film. Man, I don't drop character till I've done a DVD commentary. You want to eat the writer? Be my guest. That will leave you to explain how else your character is supposed to get to Bremen. Welcome back to another episode of the In the Mouth of Dorkness Chatcast. Joining me today is Billy Das, the indie dork. What's up, Billy? Uh, not too much, man. I'm excited to be here, continuing to live my best life. I am more excited to be here, and my life is better than yours because <laughs> I am hosting today. I am Brad Gullickson, the mouth dork, and I am so excited to bring you our second interview from our Chattanooga Film Fest series. And it's a great one. Yes. So if you haven't already done so, get on that Crispin Glover conversation. It's a lifetime highlight for Brad. I think it is also for Billy. (laughs) It was momentous, for sure. For sure. Um, But today we have Mallory O'Mara on the podcast. She is the author of The Lady from the Black Lagoon, colon, Hollywood Monsters and the Lost Legacy of Millicent Patrick. Uh, Yeah, this is very cool. Uh, One uh, Mallory O'Mara is probably the coolest guest we've had on this podcast. I mean, in terms of strict coolness, yes. Yes. Uh, two, I too am a massive fan of Creature from the Black Lagoon. I know Billy is as well. Yes. Uh, and yeah, it's just it's just a delight to talk Creature with somebody. And it's an even larger delight to talk about Millicent Patrick, this lost figure uh, in pop culture, or not lost really as much as she was forced out of the game by male-dominated Hollywood. Exactly. Uh, Millicent Patrick was the first female animator at Walt Disney. She was a designer and responsible for the Creature from the Black Lagoon iconic look. And I mean, like, these are iconic moments, and it's mind-boggling to me that this is uh, deliberately a race history because I think her contribution is so significant. And I think that's what I love about Mallory's uh, approach to this topic, which was to, you know what? If nobody's going to fucking tell this story, I'm going to dive in, and I'm going to do all the research necessary, and I'm going to bring it out to the foreground. And I think the thing that she does so excellently is she ties this past experience uh, very much to the present, because I think it's easy to forget that, like, oh, well, that was 80 years ago or 90 years ago. Right. And we'll talk about that with her. It could have been so easily <laughs> yeah. uh, a dry biography, but she brings a lot of her own stories and personality exactly, to the story exactly. as well. So exactly. there you go. Let's get into it, and we'll meet you back on the other side of this interview. <laughs> And here we are recording from the Moxie in Chattanooga, Tennessee, as part of the Chattanooga Film Festival. And we are speaking today with Mallory O'Mara, author of The Lady from the Black Lagoon. Mallory, thank you so much for joining us. We are really, really excited to have you here. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm excited to talk to you both. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, we've, we've really been enjoying uh, going through the book and looking at it, and I'm really fascinated by this particular story. I think that you found something really interesting to engage with. Um, but the thing that I immediately took away is sort of how big you tell the story. It's, it's not just about Millicent. There's, there's a lot more going on in here. Um, and I was wondering, I think maybe just to frame the conversation for folks who might not have had a chance to look at the book yet, how did you find your way to this topic and what made you choose to pursue it in this fashion? So Millicent Patrick has been my hero since I was a teenager. I, been a monster nerd almost my entire life and when I saw Creature from the Black Lagoon for the first time when I was 17 I did it as all nerds do and I wanted to find out about how it was made how the suit was made how they shot it trivia so I went online and I found photos of them making the suit and in amongst those photos was a picture of a woman working on the creature suit and I had never seen that before I'd never seen a woman working on a monster movie I'd never seen a woman working on any movie before so she really became my hero and years later when I became a filmmaker myself and she was still like a talisman to me I ended up getting a tattoo of her and 
I had, got into a conversation after I got the tattoo uh, with a literary agent who is actually now my literary agent, Brady McReynolds. And he said, wow, who is this woman? And I was like, well, she designed Creature from the Black Lagoon, but nobody knows anything else about her. And he's like, you should write a book about that. Mm. And I laughed and he said, no, you should write a book about that. And I just, even for my own satisfaction, I so desperately wanted to know her story. Even if I couldn't sell the book, even if I couldn't, you know, bring it to a wider audience, like I wanted to know what happened to her. And that's sort of how I came to it. It's fascinating to me how even today with so much love for the creature from the Black Lagoon, how her story is completely... Uh, off the radar of geek culture. And I had seen that photo before, the one that you're talking about, and I remember going like, oh, well, what's the deal here? And I think I like had a Wikipedia entry that I looked at, but I never explored it any further than that, and I didn't explore the amount of um, uh, f- fake news that was placed <laughs> to push her out of the narrative. And as her champion, how has it been bringing her story to festivals like Chattanooga, book signings, podcasts, what have you. It's the greatest honor of my life. It is so gratifying. Because like you said, for so long, even creature nerds really didn't know anything about her. You know, and the mainstream folks were just, she was completely off the radar. She didn't, for most of the writing of this book, she didn't even have a Wikipedia entry. There was just like blogs online and just random people who had found the photo and like tried to figure out more about her. So getting to tell her story on such a, big stage has been incredible because everyone has the same reaction that you both did like oh my god who is this woman she designed creature this is like her story is amazing like I want to know more about her a lot of women are like you know she's my hero now this is makes me feel like I belong in this world too and it's just it's a fantastic it is the greatest thing in the world so it's uh what what year does this uh research project start for you then? To uh December of 2015. Okay, so it's December 2015, so you've exhausted Wikipedia. <laughs> and you have then like where do you start when you're trying to find this like what's the thread that you pull on and then follow uh to figure out the wholeness of her story? Well, I knew that she had worked on Creature and that was basically it. So that's where I started. And I reached out to a lot of other filmmakers I knew and historians, special effects artists, hoping that somebody would have something somewhere. And also the other big thing is I got a library card. Yeah. 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 I am a huge library user. I'm a huge uh, champion of libraries. I will talk about how amazing libraries are every moment that I get a chance to do it. And, you know, I dropped out of both high school and college. I have no formal training being a writer and I have no formal training learning how to research. So librarians in Los Angeles saved my butt completely on this project. They gave me so many great resources and just working backwards and forwards from Creature, uh, you know, I was starting to find these little breadcrumbs and they helped me, you know, go in the right direction once I found something. So thank you, librarians. So happy to hear that. It's interesting because we just had Emilio Estevez on the show to talk about his new film, The Public, which is about the uh, civil disobedience story that he's crafted around the Cincinnati Public Library. And he did all his research at, you know, the L.A. Public Library. So right now, Billy and I are in full on support of library systems in America. It's great. It's such a great resource, you know, no matter what project you want to do or what you're trying to find. Like there's so much cool stuff that you can check out from the library. It's just the greatest system that this country has. I think what I was, the first big surprise I had with your book is the idea that you don't necessarily start directly with her. And my, my question to you is when you decide to tell this story, this amazing story, how do you formulate the narrative of the book you're creating? How did you land at the start that you did? So this book actually started out as like a straight biography. And I couldn't really find my own way into it. It just felt wrong. And I realized it after... So in preparation for the book, I started listening to... Because I'm also a big audiobook person. And listening to and reading a lot of books, uh, biographies. And I listened to this 18-hour-long biography of my favorite author, Shirley Jackson, by Ruth Franklin called A Rather Haunted Life is incredible. And by the end of it, you're like, this is awesome. I even know what brand of socks Shirley Jackson was into. (laughs) Like, I know everything. And I realized, I was like, wow, that was a great read. And I only care about this stuff 
because I'm obsessed with Shirley Jackson. Nobody knows who Millicent Patrick is. I have to give them a reason to care about her. And at the, around the same time, a friend of mine said, you know, Mallory, if I don't care about Creature, why would I read this book? And she wasn't like yelling at me. She was trying to, you know, help me formulate this project and giving me, making me see it from another angle. And the first words out of my mouth were, oh, well, what happened to Millicent Patrick is happening right now to so many other women. And she's like, you should probably put that in the book. So between those two things, I started writing my story of trying to find her alongside of it and how I got into her because I wanted people to care about her. And it just sort of became, came what it is now it's sort of like julie and julia for monsters and weirdos oh, that's a great i had not heard that that's a great tagline julia for julia for weird monster lovers yeah i but that's i mean it's an incredibly personal story then that you're telling i mean hers is obviously a very personal story and, and one of discovery for you to go through and find out all of this information but i mean you share quite a bit about your your own experience and and struggles working as a woman in the industry and like that would terrify me. It is terrifying. Yeah. I'm, I, constant, I'm still terrified. <laughs> but it was such an important story to tell. And I knew that if I had gotten to read a story like this as a woman in, in horror and monsters and film, just as a woman, it would have meant so much to me to know these things when I was getting into the industry. So I was like, just get some bourbon and get through it when I was writing it. You know, it was really scary. I tell a lot of stories of like shitty things that have happened to me as a female filmmaker and like terrible things that really famous people have done to me. And it's not easy to remember those things, but it, I knew it would mean so much to, if I was like, there's one monster nerd woman out there that I am writing for. And if this makes her feel less alone, fuck it. I will drink this bourbon and write this book and get it out to her. And it's, it ended up resonating with a lot more people than I thought it was going to. Creature from the Black Lagoon, all universal horror monsters, but Creature in particular has a rabid fan base and people have built up their own narratives of, of where the creature design came from, who's responsible for the, the film and the performances. And do you have you received resistance from folks who go like, this isn't true. This is BS. This is uh, retconning of history or, or anything like that. Yeah, absolutely. I started getting hate mail for this book before I even wrote it. Yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah. It was, Fucking people, man. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. There's so many people thought that dismissed her for so long because she was a woman and they really just did not want to believe that she did this. You know, they, I had historians tell me in writing, no, I just think she was somebody's girlfriend. Right. You know, all, it was crazy. And even now, like I see posts on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and stuff about the book and people are like, no, nah, that wasn't her. This isn't true. Someone else did this. A guy did this. And it's insane. Uh, so when you encounter that, when you encounter that resistance, what is your response to it? I mean, how do you handle that? How do you, uh, Process it. Process it, yeah. Oh, I just ignore it. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, nice. I wrote the fucking book on the subject. Like, there's... Ah, no yes! <laughs> That's the fucking answer right there. <laughs> yeah. Like, I did all my work already. Yes! <laughs> like, there's proof. Like, the guy who sculpted the creature said, like, verbatim, I sculpted this for Millicent Patrick's designs. Millicent Patrick designed the creature. Like, I don't know what other proof people it's need. Yes. Like, like he said it like it's just I don't know what else people need to say. Like there's photos of her, not press photos, like just set photos of her working on the suit. Like I just don't know what else people need. So I don't even validate it when people are like, oh, that's not true. I'm like, what proof? Uh, like I want to turn around and be like, all right, well, what proof do you have that somebody else did it? Come, you write your own book and tell me. Yeah. Well, there's nothing better than that. <laughs> it's all right there. Um, so now with the book out there and, you know, finding people who are responding so positively towards it, what, what, what do you want, where do you want this book to take you, to take the story of hers? Where, where do you want to see this story go? A few places, actually. Um, I can't talk about uh, whether or not 
this movie. How great a movie it would make. Yes. yes Can't yes. talk about it because things may or may not be cool. talked about right oh, now. Wow. Um, I would love to see that. Um, but also I just love seeing people talk about it. Like it really makes me thrilled to see so many people like, like you two just like talking about the book and sharing her story. So A, people know who she is and people know that women have been doing this forever, you yeah. know? And also to see other women, my hope is that if even one single girl picks up this book and says, man, I want to make art, I can do this, then that's that's where I want this to be. I want girls to see that they belong here. I don't, um, I don't like to... Talk about so I have I have three daughters and you I don't love to talk about how you have three daughters. I do like to talk about how I have three daughters. I don't like I mean in terms of you know looking at uh, the role of women in the workplace and the things that they experience. I don't like to just dive in and be like, well, I have daughters now, and that's why I've learned yeah. that this because I, I think there's a weirdness to saying that because you're like you would care about this stuff even if you didn't yeah. have daughters. Right, I would hope right. so. Like right. Brad, childless. Yeah, <laughs> um, but like. I want to give this book to my oldest daughter oh, so God. that she can Thank you. so that she can read it because I like that shit matters um, to them. Like mm-hmm. they 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 see even you know five six and uh, nine they see when women are not featured in things they appreciate that and it does change their perception. I can see that happening as a dad where they they start defining like well what am I going to go and do and how do I go and do that and this is what people are telling me that I'm able to do because I'm a woman and that shit just I want to, I want to, I want to fix that. And I see, I see a book like yours, and that's a book that I want to put in their hands. Thank you. Yeah, the, I think it was the Gina Davis Institute for Gender Studies did a great. Uh, they did an extended study on when Brave came out and how many young girls got into archery specifically because once girls see it, they are like, oh, I can do that too. And it really, it's stuff like that that makes a huge difference for people. Well, and to your point, we tend to think about how, oh, there's a change happening now and there's more opportunities now. But at the same time, people, you know, women were still having profound impact in the industry, in horror, in horror fiction, Shirley Jackson, like, oh my God. Like, it's not... Uh, uh, the unicorn that people like to think exactly. it is. We've always, always been here. Women have always been into comics and art and wanted to do all this stuff, wanted to make monsters and make films and make horror. It's not like a new thing. So what was the biggest surprise to you in this entire journey of bringing the book to life? Honestly, it was finding out about the iceberg of Millicent Patrick. So she would have been worth writing a book about even if she had just done Creature. And then I started looking into her story and the more research I did, you know, she was one of the first female animators at Disney. She worked on Fantasia. She worked on Dumbo. Like she did all of this stuff and I was just like, what? It was like an embarrassment of riches to write about. I couldn't even get over it. It felt like every few months I would find out something new about her and I would call my agent and be like, can you believe this? Oh my God. She did like, she, she's like the Forrest Gump of the 1950s. You know, (laughs) she just interacted with, she grew up at Hearst Castle, like all of her marriages, like all of her relationships. Like she had this bombastic Forrest Gumpy life. I just couldn't believe it. Hearst Castle. I've I've seen your, your Instagram photos. That's to go behind the scenes there. That's amazing. It was so cool. It's such it's it's really hard to wrap your brain around. I'm really glad that I went. I've been twice because it would be like William Randolph Hearst would have been on Cribs if Cribs was around <laughs> in the 1920s. You know, oh, it's man. just like it's yeah, it's his summer summer home, and by summer home, you like you mean the most opulent, <laughs> massive estate that needed him to build literally build a town around it to support this house. Ha- like it was so huge, and it's so beautiful now because now it's uh, like a state park, and you can go and you can't even see all of it in one tour. You have to book multiple tours because it's so big. I got to do it. It's really great. It's it. really fantastic. And finding out that Millicent grew up there for 10 years when she was a kid, just like, I can't make this shit up. It's crazy. It, it's amazing to me to think about her, like you said, connections to, from Universal to Disney to Hearst, the Forrest Gump uh, of, of the horror <laughs> industry. Uh, it, it's so hopeful, your story. The, the lady from the Black Lagoon, uh, that these that her tale can be told, and you start to wonder who else is out there yeah. that we can celebrate in that fashion. I can't you, talk about. Yeah, okay. uh, yeah, right. There is another woman I'm working on cool. right now. All right, excellent. Awesome. And she's
she worked on another big monster movie. So today, uh, you've, you've got the book out in the world, you're doing the press tour for it, and you're talking about her, but you're also sharing very modern experiences of similar challenges that have come. Are you optimistic about the present and the direction that we're going? Are you pessimistic? Is, is that not even the right question? No, I am I am optimistic. I'm actually, that is totally the right question because the question I normally get asked is, oh, now that Me Too happened, things are different, right? Oh. And I'm like, <laughs> how many female directors got nominated for the Oscar last year? Oh, wait, none? Oh, right. None? Yeah, yeah. Hmm, funny about that. Uh, but I am optimistic because these conversations are happening and there's not a lot of change that we can see right now because film is very slow, publishing is very slow, Our is very slow um, but I do see conversations happening and that's where it starts so on that note I I try to be optimistic I try to be hopeful uh, but I also see that you know in the early 90s you know when Spike Lee and John Singleton were all coming into the fray and it looked like African-American cinema was going to blow up and become this huge thing and then it completely vanished mm-hmm. and it's we're having a resurgence now and um, we're, we're having conversations uh, for representation for many uh, minority groups uh, but I worry about maintaining that conversation it's a great conversation right now but are we still having this conversation in five years like how do we keep it going yeah that's well, that we have to I think especially for fans, it feels like this big overwhelming problem, right? And you don't know what to do about it. But I think people really need to remember that there are things that you can do about it. Every month, you know, hey, I saw four movies in the theater this month. How many were directed by black people? How Mm -hmm. many were directed by women? It's so easy to vote with your dollars and see like, cool, how many comic books have I read recently that, you know, were written by people of color? When's the last time I watched a movie with a gay director? Like, you get to partake in this stuff. And yes, Fans don't always have a say in what stuff we like gets put out in the world, but you get to vote with your dollars on what you want to see more of. And as a consumer, you have to be active. Yes. Right? You yes. can't just be in the same role of like, well, I love uh, horror movies and I keep watching the same horror movies over and over again that I've loved since you know I was five years old. You have to go, well, what do I want in the world? Let me go pursue this filmmaker who I'd never heard of before yes. and see what they're doing. Absolutely. And it's like, no, there's not going to be a guide that's given out every month. Like here's all the women directors that you can watch this month. Like there isn't that. Yeah. So you have to be active as a fan. You have to, you know, Google things. You have to look and like see and keep, you know, keep your ear to the ground. That's why being a fan is really cool. Cause you can be part of communities and people can say, Hey, this is really cool. Black director that maybe you've never seen anything from. You should watch this movie or like, you know, this is a really cool female director that has a movie coming out at this festival. We should go see it. Like, that's the fun part about it. It's not homework. It's fun. And what I want to do is celebrate. I think books like yours celebrate people and celebrate art and are sort of also against the tide of what social media is. Yeah. We tend to, like, really, you know, you watch something, you don't like it, and the conversation gets to be swarmed about the Rotten Tomatoes score. Oh, don't I can't talk of, about of Hellboy Billy tomatoes. being like ten percent, and you know, like we, we <laughs> tend to focus on the negative and keeping that conversation going. Whereas something comes out, it's amazing. It's amazing for that weekend, whether it's a movie or you go and a, a book comes out, or that Wednesday we're really excited about. I don't know. I can't think of a comic at the moment, but um, and then the the celebration is limited time, whereas. We hate is forever. Hate is forever. We can. We're still complaining about Last Jedi. I was literally going to say that exact same <laughs> sentence. Like, why? Yeah, it's crazy, and it's hard to keep up that joy because you know everyone loves misery, loves company, social media. Yeah. People love shitting on things, but it's so much more sustainable, like life sustainable to be happy about stuff. Like I love, it's my favorite thing in the world is to talk about movies and comics and albums and books that I absolutely love. And what I feel when I see, like after I watch a movie like us, I'm like, cool. When's the next time I get to see a horror made by a black person? When's the next time I get to see more of this? Let's keep this conversation going about how great this was. So maybe some executive somewhere is like, Oh, maybe we should do a movie like that. Maybe we should not have only white directors. And, like that's the conversations we need to have like talk like you said talk about the things you want to see in the world right but then the next time uh, a a black led horror film tanks we go oh 
I guess this is done. Yes. You know, it, you have to allow for failure too yes. in the things that you love as well. Yes. Especially since I feel like women, people of color, any marginalized group, they have to carry the weight of everybody. Yeah. yeah so it's yeah. like, oh, this one movie didn't do well. Oh, see, this is what happens when we have a female superhero. Yeah, 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 yeah. While we have so many garbage, you know, male-led superhero movies and they just keep, no one's that's like, fine. Yeah. Just fucking throw money away on male yeah. movies where, where the dudes are uh, screwing up the box yeah, office, yeah. but uh, you get a, a woman in the center of the screen and it doesn't do well or where it makes money, just not fucking enough money. Yeah. And then that's the problem. Like, well, I think that's also a big problem with the conversation is it is so dra- drawn by money and box office and things like Even that. Even though Captain Marvel was the yeah. number one movie, Us was the number mm-hmm. one movie. Like, we all... And that's the thing that drives me nuts is that, like, there's this weird... It's this tiny vocal minority because the rest of us not garbage people are like, <laughs> yeah, I'm a white person, but I would absolutely want to see movies that feature people of color. Like, I, we want to see those things. And it's just this tiny vocal garbage people group that's like, no, this is all bad. Social justice warriors. But the rest of us are like, no, we'll spend our money on this stuff. I want to see this. Like, yeah, I, I want to see a gay superhero. I want to see a, a black family lead a horror movie. Like, take mm-hmm. my money. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, you know, like, I mean, movies are expensive. But, like, I took the entire family. So it's five of us to go see Captain Marvel. It's five of us to go see Wonder Woman. Um, it's money's expense. Like it's expensive because it's 150 bucks. Not for bucks, the childless, Billy. Not for the childless. <laughs> hey, I just shouldn't have had kids. <laughs> uh, no, but like, it's like you, you vote, you want to go and you want to see that succeed. And, and I, your just, girls seeing Captain Marvel, all of a sudden they're like, I want to be Captain Marvel. Yeah. I want to do these things. And yeah. it makes a difference in their lives. I, you know, we, we saw all of my girls gravitated to Black Panther. They gravitated to Captain Marvel. And that, like, weirdly fed into their love of Legos because uh, Lego Company is supporting those movies very well with some really wonderful Lego sets. And, like, so in our household, this conversation continues on a regular basis as far as appreciating things from different points of view and stuff yeah. like that. Um, but I like I've thought a lot about um, since Filmstruck failed uh, when there yeah. was this big conversation about how to preserve uh, like film history and share film culture. Like I saw a lot of people talk about what are streaming services doing and where do we put these titles? And I think that that's an important conversation. I find it very interesting. I don't mean to dismiss it in any way, but I feel like this conversation is, is really a key part of that driving factor. Learning about people like Millicent and the history in their film industry and translating that into uh, pushing forward continued involvement from people who are not white dudes yeah. um, and, and making art and shining a light on that. Like it's, it's such a challenging conversation and there's so many different groups of people talking about it in their own ways. It, it, it's all very interesting to me, but it, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't really have a question for you. I just (laughs) carrying the conversation forward. This is something I just, I think about a lot and I don't necessarily know the answer for how to continue the conversation. Like, like you're saying, it's a weird time for film, especially because we're in this sort of purgatory space between, you know, there's really no middle ground for filmmakers, either you're a tiny indie or you're a massive big, like big box office thing. You know, not as many people are going to theaters. All the streaming services are weird. Netflix just went up, you know, Disney's starting out there. Soon we're all just going to have multiple. And, you know, I'm waiting to see the first service that give, that starts bundling them. And then it's the slow forming of cable all all the way over again. I mean, I think that has to happen because even I have the same problem where I'm like oh well this thing's on Amazon Prime and this thing's on Netflix and this thing's on Hulu and me and my friends we all have like we all share passwords for everything (laughs) so you're all like it's just it's getting a little bit much but as fans you know it's hard because you're like okay well if this movie isn't supported on anything how am I going to go see it like and then older movies where are they going to go it's like this weird I guess that part of it's exciting this there's a lot of excitement in being part of new media because you get to do cool stuff like podcasts and you get to reach people in new ways but there's a lot of uncertainty and there it's a very interesting thing to watch the landscape shift in both good ways and bad ways so uh you covered it a little bit but how do you maintain your positive attitude today. 
without bourbon. Uh, yeah, without, without bourbon. Without I mean, maybe bourbon. with. I don't know. That's that's fueling my weekend. Yeah, yeah sure. it's the, it's stuff like we're doing right now. It's talking to other people who aren't garbage. You know, it's talking. <laughs> Validated. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's just like talking to cool creators and cool fans, and know yeah. that there's an audience for this stuff. Talking to female filmmakers, uh, female special effects artists. Like we're all out there doing the work. You know, in there's a lot of commiserating and there's a lot of like, oh man, this sucks. I had a, a very long conversation with another puppet filmmaker, a friend of mine yesterday about, you know, the very specifics of working in the puppet film world and how it sucks and things are really bad right now. But then at the same time, you know, afterwards we ended up talking about like great, exciting female-led movies that are coming out. So you just, you it's like with anything, you know, you find your community and you stay together and support each other and you look for the positive and you know that the good things are out there and you just keep working and keep like paying attention as a fan and hope and getting ready to support those things when they do. And, you know, it's, it's like, I feel like we're in the space in the battle of... Um, uh, the um, oh my god, uh, Battle of Helm's Deep in oh, Lord of the yeah. Rings. I think Gandalf is coming soon. Uh-huh, uh-huh. We just gotta hold out. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't want to get into the politics of everything. I hope there's a Gandalf. Look to the, the east. Look to the east. Uh, He's gotta show up soon. I mean, for me, it's it's books like yours that really Thank maintain uh, the my positive energy, and I. I see online people responding so well to your books and you start to see creature love come so back much up. Love. There's like Instagram loaded with creature love. So much. So it's much. A, it is the greatest. And so how have you been receiving that? I know lots of people have been, you know, uh, you know, there's fan art out there there, you know, how are you receiving all this love? So well, it is overwhelming. When I started writing this book, I didn't know if people were going li- to, I mean, you, when you make anything, you're like, I don't know if anybody's going to like it. But for me, I just had no idea if this was going to resonate with anybody and seeing so much love for not just this movie, but for Millicent herself and so much excitement, you know, the world has been waiting for a story like this for so long. Uh, you know, mo- monster movies are not, a a bastion of feminism most of the time, <laughs> but there are so many people who love, like so many women who love them and so many men, like men who are feminists who love them and want to see more women. And then because of the fact that Millicent is the Forrest Gump of the 1950s, the thing that's amazing to me is that, you know, her story intersects with so many other things with Disney, with art, with California history, with Hollywood history, uh, it's, there's a lot of things there for people who aren't in monster stuff and aren't, nerds about horror so it's kind of started to really resonate out into the world even farther than my little weird monster nerd community and seeing all the love come from those people who I've had so many people at signings who are like never seen creature not into monsters but I love Millicent Patrick I love this story it is like that's the most it is the greatest greatest thing I sold my dad on the story who hates everything that I love in life Um, (laughs) I sold my dad on the story because of the Hearst connection yeah and I mean he he had no idea about any of this stuff but he sees that I'm excited about it and there's this weird history story he loves lost history and it really responded well to him that's so awesome. Hopefully he'll read the book. Uh, you know, I've, I've got one for him. Um, but and I, for me, watching your story, following you on Twitter, when you received the box of books when it came finally, mm-hmm. and you open up this box and you realize that you've done it. It was a big day. <laughs> it's a big day for you, but like I get crazy emotional as somebody who has been pursuing creative arts to see somebody realize this idea into a product and now take it out into the world. It's incredibly inspiring. Thank you. It was a big, a lot of tears that day. I think I drank an entire bottle of champagne. (laughs) I I drank an entire bottle of champagne and watched shape of water. Yeah. (laughs) So, So you brought it up shape of water. How do you feel about it? I saw it opening night. Oh, Thursday night the, when it, the week it came out and I started crying during the opening credits and I basically continued throughout the entire film because watching a movie I mean A I am a Del Toro freak sure, sure. I love everything he's ever done I'm a huge fan uh, B I love Creature 
I love Mike Hill, who's the person who's a friend of mine who designed Amazing. the the asset yeah. and shape of water. So I knew I was in good hands between the two of them. And seeing a story like that, like a creature story that was filled with female agency and a strong female characters, but also was everything you wanted from it. It's basically creature fan fiction, you know, and creature. The, the amazing thing about the original film is that creature's not the bad guy. He's not the villain in it. And Guillermo del Toro really straps a rocket to that idea and lets it fly and getting to see it from that perspective and see creature as the hero Man, by the time the movie was over, I was crying so hard, my best friend had to take me to the bathroom and clean all the mascara (laughs) off my face. The moment where you have the dance number, when it goes black and white, and they're sitting at, like, I don't, uh, I ugly cried big time. My wife and I watched it, and we were just bawling. I want want to dance with Creature in a a ballroom, for sure. Um, Guillermo del Toro, has he, he read the book? He has a copy. He's tweeted about it a bunch. Okay. Um, I haven't talked to him directly about it, but... That's good. Yes. All right, well, let's... That's uh, going to happen. Just take a step back for a second. How does that feel? <sighs> it's like, does your head explode just yes. even... Just every single time still, right? Yes. I imagine. I can't... Uh, there's been a few people that have talked about the book um, that I just... Guillermo was the big one. Um, Patton Oswalt tweeted about it. Yeah. And I was just like... Ca- like casually looked down at my phone. I'm like, wow, Twitter's blowing up today. What's <laughs> going on? And I was like, oh my God. It's just, it is so surreal. It is so, so, so surreal to A, make something that is available out in the world for people to pick up, especially since it's such a personal story, uh, but also to have someone you admire so much pick it up. It's A, terrifying. Mm, I was like, yeah. oh my God, what if he hates it? What if he hates it? Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. <laughs> uh, but it is just, it's the most surreal, incredible moment that I made something that Guillermo del Toro has. Like, never get over it. Never get over it. So we're talking about sharing the love and experiencing great things. Um, what, like, who's who's making what that you love right now that you'd like to call out attention to? I mean, we're talking about having a conversation about recommending things. What would you push people to to go watch? I mean, if you haven't seen us, please do. It is. Jordan Peele is just the king of horror right now. So I'm so, so excited. I'm excited about his Twilight Zone. Hell yeah. It's good. I like it. Uh, And I just watched uh, Shrill uh, on Hulu, Mm -hmm. which is not a nerdy thing, but I'm a huge fan of the show's creator. Uh, It's a woman named Lindy West. Mm -hmm. She is a comedy writer, and she writes a lot about being fat and being a woman and feminism and how all those things intersect. So she Hulu just did a six episode series called Shrill that is sort of like a um, fictionalization of that memoir uh, about a woman living in the Pacific Northwest and just dealing with like everyday women shit, but also like how people treat her as a fat woman and how she finds her own agency. And it is hilarious. It mm. will make you mad. It will make you cry. It is so good. It is on Hulu now. It's just amazing. I, I'm actually glad to hear that because that's I've seen the previews for it, and I was mm, I was trepidatious about clicking play on it because I wasn't sure how not the topic would be handled. Oh, it's so because it's well, it's the, that's the great thing is it's written by people that get it. You know, gotcha. it's not like it's not a story that's like written by some like you know tanned, skinny white dude. Uh, who's like, oh, this thing's excel. It's written by women. It's written by fat women. It's right. created by women. It's really, really, oh, it's so good. We need more uh, body positive fiction, for sure. Uh, I've been watching a lot of Star Trek Discovery and uh, Bridge Crew, very thin. Yeah. Very thin. Yeah. Um, I don't know why I'm bringing that up, just in my head. Well, it's weird when you watch stuff like that. Well, I feel like representation like that, it's one of those things where you can't go back, mm-hmm. where once you, what has been seen cannot be unseen. Mm-hmm. Once you realize what you're missing from things, I think it was like the first time I ever yeah. saw Fury Road, you know, when I got to see Furiosa just be such a badass, and you realize like, oh shit, I don't normally get to see this. And then after that, you're spoiled rotten. Yeah, the absence is exposed. Yes. And it is weird to then go back into some of the things that you truly cherish and <sighs> see how they're lacking. Lacking. I do yeah. have my problematic faves. Yeah, oh, of course. Yeah, sure. For sure. Course. We all do. Yeah. Like my favorite movie of all time is Conan the Barbarian. Mm-hmm. Love Conan yeah. the Barbarian. And John Milius. He's made a lot of movies I really like. <laughs> oh, God. I love, like, I just love it so much. But yeah, there's a few things that you're like, 
One of my least favorite things is when people like write these hot take think pieces about how problematic old movies are. Yeah. And you're like, uh, yeah, everything Heather's, was garbage. Yeah, I saw that. Heather's article. Everything's bad. <laughs> everything, like, every, like, yeah, we get it. Things were really shitty and they've been shitty for a long time. Like, let's talk about the good things that are coming out right now right, that right. aren't bad. Let's right. move forward. Context is king. Yeah. You have to know context. Uh, you, but you, at the same time, I think it's also important when you do go back and you revisit your favorite movies that you are aware of how the culture was shaping you when you were younger. Yes, and that's what freaks me out is sometimes you're like, I see why I hate myself now. Mm -hmm. Because you see all these like racist jokes, fat jokes, uh, misogynist jokes, and you're like... Homophobia. Yeah, oh my God, especially in horror movies. I love the Monster Squad. I love the Monster Squad. So funny you say that because I had a rewatch of Monster Squad recently and I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I showed it to a big theater and I had forgotten all that stuff. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, the crowd had comments. And I was just As like, they yeah, should. Yeah, you know, I had the same thing because I watched that movie and I liked that movie when I was younger. You know, anything monsters. And then I rewatched it last year because my partner had never seen it. And he was like, Jesus, man. Yeah. And I was like, Ugh. the 80s were different. 80s sure were a time. <laughs> I don't remember. I didn't remember it like that. Oh, shit. Yeah. yeah. But again, like, the best thing to do is just show your love for the good stuff that's happening right now. You know, we're getting a lot of so many cool monster movies. Like, I'm a big, big fan of Colossal with Anne Hathaway. Hell yeah. So are we. Yes. Hell yeah. Huge into that. Like, I want more monster movies like that. More Nacho Vigalando. Yes, please. Yes. I love that, too. They need to give him whatever he wants. Seriously, yeah. after I saw Colossal, that was a movie that I was almost like, I need to go see this again right now. It's just brilliant, and it really shows... I, I think, I mean, Shape of Water really won this argument for us as, as to how monster stuff can truly be art and mm. truly be elevated to like the highest echelons of cinema. You know, shape. we got a fish fuck movie that yeah. won best picture like sorry dudes monster stuff's here to stay yep. Yep. but colossal really is a movie that shows that where like monsters are such a great metaphor and it doesn't have to i mean not that i don't love the cheesy monster movies not that i don't love that stuff but it doesn't have to be just juvenile kid stuff it can sure. really be it's the oldest form of storytelling that we have well juvenile monster movies of the 50s or what or whatever also had a lot that they were saying yes and right now given the cultural climate the political climate that we're living in guys like jordan peele who are making social science fiction social horror nacho vigilando all, all these people we're craving it like we yes. need our art to talk to the now yes and how could it not and i my biggest frustration online is when they're like star Still wars should just be star wars it's like, Sci- have you ever read a science fiction book, yeah. dude? I'm a massive Trek fan, as I mentioned. And to see Trek people go like, I don't like all this SJW stuff happening in Discovery. Star Trek was the f- f- like ah! fucking front wave of that stuff. My like, head literally explodes when people comment that way. It's crazy to me. It makes me so, so mad. Especially like, oh, I don't, especially horror. Because I feel like horror is like the last bastion where you can tell, you can be really fearless with your social commentary. Because you can just be like, well, it's horror movie yeah. and like you know but some horror movies have the most intense plots and the most powerful messages because they're wrapped up in this horror movie you know thing where people are like oh it's not a big deal it's just for it's like a juvenile thing it's monsters it's whatever so you know i lo- i love watching people get oh i don't like jordan peele's movies because they're so political i'm like have you ever seen a horror movie right i mean give me a break yeah as del toro says Film is politics. Yes, all art is. Everything. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. What you choose to put on the screen matters, you know, and what the stories you tell, even if you're telling a silly monster story, like Millicent Patra's first ever monster she designed was, it came from outer space. That movie is like anti-McCarthyism all over the place. Yep, yep. And it, like, yes, it's like a silly monster movie with a silly <laughs> monster, but it also means something. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, as an artist working in the field, what are you excited to be bringing to it? Look, the big question. Well, I <laughs> besides all my anger, besides all my, besides all my feminist rage, I my, the thing that I wanted, I'm excited to bring to it is more of these monster stories. I just I get so excited about monsters because a I'm a nerd about them, but b from an artistic standpoint, I just think they are 
the best way we can tell, we can confront things, you know, not only to find out, to let those parts of ourselves loose, you know, but also to find out how to fight those parts of ourselves and to fight evil. And I feel like people right now are, I see people like, oh, we're living in this really scary time. Why would you want to watch horror? I'm like, that's where things get, that's where a good place is. That's where you get to see the monsters defeated. That's where you actually get to complete that stress cycle. Right now we're just living in this like nightmare stasis where we're like, when is this going to end? But on screen in a horror movie, you get to see, sometimes, depends on the movie, you get to see the monster get fought. And sometimes you get to see the monster get defeated. And I want to bring more of those stories. I want to bring stuff like Colossal to the world where you get to examine things like alcoholism Mm -hmm. from a monster standpoint, like putting your problems into a literal creature that you can run around and you can set it free is such a fun thing for me. So I want to keep making monster movies. I want to keep telling monster stories. I just love it. And I think we're in the time to be telling that. I think that's the nice thing about having a monster in the White House. Is that <laughs> we need to, we're, we're open to having these conversations. And, you know, if this particular monster leaves our White House and we get somebody that we when, when, appreciate. When uh, he leaves. Yeah, when he leaves, when he leaves. But what happens when we get somebody that we are really excited about? Like we respect this person in the White House. Do those conversations end? No, I think they'll change. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think because this, we're, we're human beings. You know, we're always going to... this. You know, just when, when we get Trump out, there's still going to be racism. There's still going to be right, homophobia. Sure, there's still going to be a lot of garbage in this country that we need to, to fix. You know, we have so many problems and horror is such a great way to examine that. Uh, yeah, I absolutely. Uh, so we're coming up to the end of our time. Uh, but we have one question that we like to ask all our guests that come along. Um, we've been very blessed to interview a lot of independent filmmakers and people who work in and around the industry. And I think the one through line uh, that we've seen from that is that making art is fucking hard. Um, and in the course of pouring yourself openly and honestly into this thing that you're trying to make, it's very easy to get uh, to feeling very lowly uh, when things are not going the way that you want. Uh, so what we like to ask people is, uh, if you can look back at, at your experience with this book or even through your career, is there one moment that stands out to you that you like to lean on in low times to help push you forward? Yes. Uh, uh, quite a few, actually, and they're all from other female filmmakers uh the writing lady from the black lagoon was really hard and finding millicent's story was really really hard and i remember i was at uh, some party and i was talking to another female filmmaker that i had just met and she was like yeah millicent's my hero too god i just want to know her story thank you so much for for finding for looking for her and i was just like every time it would get hard i would be like no i gotta do it for this lady like i gotta i gotta do it for all of us and it like it let me hang it was like a hook that i could hang everything on you know because i knew that i needed to tell this story and i needed to bring her story to people because of other women like me and just literally talking to another woman who was like, yes, please, I really want to know. She's meant so much to me. Uh, at a signing I had uh, in Reseda, California, a woman came up to have her book signed and just immediately burst into tears because she was like, I became a special effects artist because of Millicent Patrick. I moved to Los Angeles because of Millicent Patrick. And that's the, that's what makes it worth it. That's what getting, I mean, making art is really fucking hard, but knowing that you get to make those kind of differences to people, you know, even if you're making a monster movie that is giving someone an hour and a half of a break from their problems, it pulls you through. It pulls me through at least. I think that's a beautiful answer. Thank you very much. Mallory, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Uh, thank you for being the champion for Millicent and these type of stories. It really doesn't mean a lot to uh, consumers like us. We really appreciate it. Is there some place that we can point our listeners to, to, uh, uh, to see your story, to continue this conversation? Yeah, I spend way too much time on Twitter. Uh, I'm at Mallory O'Mara on all the things, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, and I also, I have a website if anyone is interested in, I'm still on book tour. I still have more events coming up. So MalloryOmara.com is where all of my appearances are, information about where to buy the book, um, contact information for me or my publicist. Um, that's where everything is. And guys, go go buy the book. Go yes. buy the book. I mean, Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Take care.
And there you have it. Uh, yeah, I wasn't lying. Uh, Mallory O'Mara, coolest person on this podcast. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. No question about it. Yeah, my thanks to her <laughs> and my thanks to everybody at the Chattanooga Film Festival that brought this conversation to us. It was a true delight to be able to sit down at the Moxie in Chattanooga. And actually, we had we didn't even talk about this at the beginning of the show, but we had this really cool space yeah. in the Moxie lobby where we were cordoned off to have a proper conversation. And Billy, being the man that he is really did an awesome job of setting up mobile podcast unit one and (laughs) knocking it down in a very impressive manner. While experiencing zero stress as the next interview waited while watching us break this down. You're great, Billy. (laughs) You don't need to stress about anything. It's what I do. So that brings us to the end of our episode today. Be excited for next week. We're talking with Travis Stevens, who is returning to the podcast. Hell yeah. He has made his feature day debut with The Girl on the Third Floor, a really rad ghost story, maybe? Full of goop and disgustingness and really just awesomeness all around. Yeah, there's a lot of Cronenberg body horror to this haunted house. (laughs) I love it. And CM Punk. Yeah, which is a... It's wild. We'll get into it. We'll get into it. So come back next week where we talk with Travis. And yeah, like we said at the beginning of the show, we're going to be talking to a lot of filmmakers coming out of Chattanooga Film Festival. And if you've never gone to Chattanooga for its Film Fest, uh, you need to correct your life and get there next year. It's one of the most unique vibes I've experienced. It's not Fantastic Fest. It's not Sundance. It's not Lost Weekend. It's its own thing. It's just, you know, filmmakers and film fans coming together to celebrate movies and all the things around genre film. It's a beautiful place. Like, it, no kidding, it has become lifelong mandatory attendance for me. I love that place. Yeah. You may need to enjoy whiskey to fully appreciate it, uh, but Billy got by with some vodka. Right. Yeah. I mean, they're not strict religious on the whiskey. <laughs> like, they're not going to shame you if you drink vodka, but th- th- there's an environment. All right, Billy. So where can our listeners find you this week chatting about uh, all your vodka things? Uh, All of my vodka things can be found uh, at WBDAS on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. uh, And you can find me talking about non-vodka related things uh, with my daughter, Claire, uh, in our podcast project called Bill and Claire's Excellent Adventures, where we work together to expand her cinematic horizons. Uh, We just covered Major League and we're getting into a sports bent. So check that out. And you can follow our other dorks, the wife dork, at Sidewalk Siren on all social medias. Follow Brian Young at the Turtle Dork. Follow Darren Smith at the Disco Dork. I, of course, am Brad Gullickson at Mouth Dork on all social medias. And yeah, go find The Lady from the Black Lagoon. Buy yourself a copy. Buy the audiobook. But get this content into your brain. It is a fascinating story. And uh, also, rewatch Creature from the Black Lagoon, like yeah. I recently did. It's uh, a brilliant film. And yes, my favorite universal monster so there you have it dorks until next time take care visions are worth fighting for why spend your life making someone else's dreams 